Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. In this podcast, John discusses burnout, the pharmacist workforce in hospital, his passion for pharmacy, and advice for pharmacists who want to move into hospital. Thank you, John, for joining us today. Um, I'll ask you to introduce yourself, please. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so I'm John. Uh, my title as of the last couple of months is General Manager Pharmacy Services, Victoria, South Australia, Tasmania, um, for Icon Group Pharmacy. So we are part of uh, Icon Cancer Care, or the Icon Group. At a parent level, we're a global cancer care company, but we have a pharmacy division, and within that pharmacy division, we run a mostly private hospital, but not exclusively private hospital pharmacy services with, I think, about 70 pharmacies or clinics or services across the country. Uh, so my role as general manager is to run the operations of that through Victoria, South Australia, Tasmania. So that's overseeing you know, the performance, the people, the strategy, the clients, the contracts. Uh, so enough there to keep me occupied uh, most days. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, and you still do your work with the SHPA? So I'm uh, branch chair of SHPA Vic Branch. So I've been on Vic Branch for this is now into my fourth year. Uh, so I was chair for the first time last year, which was a great opportunity really to get involved, uh, particularly in some of the advocacy pieces. Uh, we had a state election last year, so we, we had a lot of uh, papers that we were putting forward to both uh, candidates and their parties in regarding you know, promoting pharmacy services across the board and the value of pharmacists uh, to the healthcare system. So looking forward to a, a second year of that, uh, coming up to our strategy planning day for 2023, um, sort of end of this month, beginning of next month, which will really set our agenda for the year. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd find out a little bit more about your roles because those are both Interesting roles, um, your work with the SHPA and your role in operations for the... Can you tell us a little bit about what your roles involve and your what drew you to them and your passion for the roles? So depending on how far you want to go back, so I've had two pharmacy careers. I've had when I first came out of pharmacy and actually went overseas 11 months into my, what would now be called an internship. Uh, to work in the US, uh, and that turned into 15 years. I, I did come back and get registered, but turned into a 15-year break working for the Salvation Army. And then I left that and came back into pharmacy, and really because I've never left, never lost my passion for drugs. So, uh, you know, when I do nurse introduction talks, you know, nurse induction talks in hospitals and introducing pharmacy services, I always start with, I love drugs. My name is John. I love drugs. So ultimately, that's why I'm a pharmacist. You know, most people don't let me near the drugs these days. Uh, they say, John, step away from the script. They'll let me talk to, to patients and do simple counselling. Uh, but I still love the patient piece and the, the, the role that the pharmacist and the medication plays in their healing process. So everything stems from that. Having spent 15 years with the Salvos, that is predominantly a people-based 
vocation. So equally, I've got a, a passion for people and a passion for leadership, particularly in, you know, as I'm getting older, uh, in that mentoring space and developing leaders. Uh, a lot of people stepping away from uh, management leadership positions because it is, it's hard work and it's harder now, I think, through the pandemic and post-pandemic. And I was only chatting to one of my senior managers this week. You know, a lot of people want a sort of more behind the scenes, a, a desk, a computer job or something that's not interacting or leading teams. Um, and we need to make sure that we're developing the next level of leaders through all of pharmacy because everything rises and falls on leadership. So drugs, leadership, people. Thank you. Um, so I just want to ask you a little bit about the SHPA and what their focus is, I guess, for the year and what some of the projects they've been working on. Yeah, so look, we, ha- we actually haven't set our strategic uh, work plan for 2023 uh, at our uh, December wrap-up meeting for 2022, we, we decided that would be our first meeting where we'd go through and set what we want to do. But a number of the high-ticket uh, items that we talked about through last year that we want to continue to develop, strangely enough, mentoring. Uh, when you chair, you get to uh, put forward some of your pet projects. Uh, not because it's a pet project, because I, like I said, I think there is scope to, to develop the current leaders, uh, and I think the senior leaders within the pharmacy industry need to be actively uh, mentoring the up-and-coming leaders. Um, so there is a next generation flowing through in a, in a smooth way. So we want to continue the mentoring um, focus in 2023. And I think the other uh, big-ticket item for us uh, in hospital land will be the development of our technician workforce. Uh, you know, pharmacists. There's a there's a scarcity of pharmacists at the moment, so the job market is pretty dry. Don't think that's going to change. There are a number of reasons why that is, um, which affords technicians an opportunity to actually forge their own career path. And there's been some super work uh, across public and private uh, hospitals to to launch some of that. And we we want to work with the people who are running those successful projects, to how do, how do we help them and how do we broaden that message across the whole of the industry? Because if we have successful techs who are skilled up, it releases the pharmacists to do the higher-end pharmacy skill set tasks uh, uh, in that healthcare setting. So it really is important, I think, to the sustainability and the future of how we deliver healthcare in hospitals. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask about the dot 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 that was just mentioned about this the shortages of pharmacists and because sure. <laughs> I think people will definitely want to hear what some of the thoughts are as to how it came about and how it will maybe stay that way. Yeah, it's I mean, everything goes in cycles. So we, those who've been in pharmacy for a while will know that there are times when there's been a lot of pharmacists and it's been easy to employ people. Um, and there are times when we have that the dip in the cycle where not as many people necessarily going through the schools. Now, I don't have those numbers, but there are people moving out of pharmacy because potentially it's because of burnout. It's potentially because of lower wages and you know just dissatisfaction. And people move 
and have more careers than they do perhaps when I first started. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in the old generation, but I'm getting that way. Um, so people are moving and doing different things with their life. Um, and so we're, we're in the dip, in the trough of that, that cycle at the moment. Uh, so there is competition for the pharmacists that are in the market. Um, and that's leading to you know, wage pressure and you know, people doing everything to keep their good people. You know, and I think it really is a an outworking of everything that got crystallised during COVID. It's people valuing their own time. You know, it's that that work life balance. If if you subscribe to that philosophy, I think people really need their own time to decompress, to recharge. I have this theory that you know. <laughs> uh, a majority of pharmacists are more on the introverted side rather than the extroverted side. And that means that they get their energy and recharge from being by themselves. And I think during COVID, the intensity, particularly in hospitals where you've gowned up, you've got a mask, you've got a face shield. It's really uncomfortable work in a lot of circumstances. It's riskier work dealing with patients, particularly in that first period you had COVID. And their time alone hasn't fully recharged them. And so I think that has led to, hey, I really, really need my time for myself now. And that's become more of a focus as sort of the COVID um, structure uh, to the pandemic has has lessened and we've opened up more. People are saying, oh, I need to breathe now and I really need to take uh, take time for myself. And that includes people not necessarily wanting to work full-time. They may want to work four days or three days, or like I said, move into doing something else. So that has put pressure um, in the marketplace. So there are actually less pharmacists around. And we talked uh, a bit before we came on microphone about, you know, there was a, people wanted to move from community into hospital because they saw, you know, they were disenchanted with the community side of pharmacy of sort of... If I can be crude and, you know, just being lick and stick people, you know, that is not what a pharmacist is, by the way. So, but you get sort of, you, you can be warmed down into that perception and hospital offers a different pathway to that. I, I think we're seeing a, the pendulum is, is swinging back into the middle because because of the wages piece is now, is, is, is increasing in community. And there are further opportunities in community anyway with, you know, the aged care spots that are being announced with uh, GP clinics and things like that. So it's it's probably not as great a flow uh, from community into hospital perhaps there was pre-pandemic. Although I'd like to change that again. <laughs> Just speaking selfishly if I could. <laughs> so you've mentioned the burnout that yep. the pharmacists experienced because there was a lot that happened with COVID with shortages, people being sick, and all of the new um, implementation of ways of doing things. So can you tell us a little bit about how hospital pharmacy coped during COVID and a little bit about that burnout of the pharmacist's experience? Yeah, well, let's take the first part of that. You know, pharmacists, by their nature, are doers. Uh, They will get in, and if a job needs to be done, they do it. They're very proactive. They're very open to doing different things. Uh, and that was required during COVID, particularly in the public hospital space. So there was the, the whole setting up of the uh, vaccination centres, how those vaccines were going to be stored, uh, decanted uh, and and 
put into ready administer forms because there was a lot of people going through those centres. So there was a lot of uh, labour needed to do that. So pharmacists were key to getting those centres up and running very quickly. So there was a whole change of skill set. There's a whole change of things that nobody had ever done before uh, to, to mass producing the vaccines in a format that could be readily given to the nurses to do the administration. You know, pharmacists were then allowed, you know, in the community were allowed to do vaccinations as well, so that's a whole other piece. But in coming back to the hospital, then there was training of sort of technicians and taking people from the streets, you know, the so-called subway sandwich hand and turning them into a, a technician who could fill those syringes and keep that process going. Um, I think that that's probably the, the, the most... Uh, seismic shift that happened during COVID was the standing up of those centres and, and the, the rapid requirement for that to happen. So that takes a lot of energy <laughs> and you can run on energy and adrenaline for, for only so long uh, and if you're not if you don't have mechanisms by which to recharge yourself uh, in an ongoing way then you get worn down over time. And for most of us, we don't realise we're worn down. We're operating at 80% thinking that we're operating at 100%. Uh, and that's probably a fair description of a, a lot of pharmacists um, over the last 6 to 12 months. Um, the, the other thing that affected that is that you, we've, we've taken pharmacists, again, particularly in the hospital system, out to do these specialised jobs, which means we've then got a gap within the, let's call it business as usual, activities. And sometimes they're being done, firstly, with a smaller workforce, which was fine for the first, maybe until, when, when did Omicron hit? Christmas last year? Yeah. So 12 months ago, you know, most people hadn't had COVID. You know, the, 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 the infections were very small. Then Omicron hit and, you know, we had absenteeism rates raised dramatically and we in our business we graph those and I can see them going from you know personally going from you know 10% to 30% and you don't then have the people to backfill those roles so people are doing more because we just don't have the people and that leads to stress the workload itself is a stressor but pharmacists being pharmacists get in and do the job and we just, I think over the last few months, as we've come out of the pandemic, seeing uh, the effect of that. And certainly in our business, we've got a, a, a high focus on trying to address those imbalances that came through the pandemic. And now as we're sort of COVID normal, air quotes, um, we need to do something to make sure we're looking after those people uh, for their own well-being, but also to keep workforces in place. Um, and that's a, that's that's a tough gig at the moment. Interesting. So, <clears throat> I guess I'd find out a little bit more about <clears throat> pharmacists. I guess who want to go into hospital now, if they're yeah. So there will still be some. So what would it involve for them? to prepare themselves, the transition, and, yeah, and yeah. even some who want to work in community and hospital. So I think there are opportunities for everybody to tailor a career to 
what they want. And that may be different to what they're doing now. Um, and, and certainly hospital pharmacy offers a, a different career path. Uh, using a skill set that a community pharmacy has can transition easily into hospital pharmacy. It's just about learning sort of different methodologies, different drugs, the more acute side of, of the healthcare system. So the first thing a pharmacist who wants to transition into hospital has to do is say, yeah, I can do this. So my message to those people is, yes, you can do it. There is a thought among some of the people that we've talked to, because we've run our own uh, nights uh, to introduce people into hospital pharmacy, and people say, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I've got the skills to do that. Well, if you've got the basic pharmacy skills, yes, you can do it. The rest we will teach you. And again, whether you're working in a private system, which is more aligned to a community pharmacy, so there was a the 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 system leap is not necessarily as great as going into the public system, but equally going into the public system, um, if you've got the basic skill set and are willing to learn, then it it it's a career path that can be made, and all you've got to do is put your hand up, you know, um, send off an email, respond to an ad. I think a couple of months pre-Christmas, I looked on Seek at the pharmacist ads, and in Melbourne there was uh, there's seven pages of them. There's a lot of opportunities for people in hospital right now. If they're you know New Year, New Outlook, what am I going to do with my life? Come and work in hospital. Um, yeah, there's 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 many many opportunities uh, to do that, and there's equally, and this is probably more in the private sector than the public sector to do that hybrid piece certainly in some of the sites that we run we have a retail pharmacy a community pharmacy that's attached to the hospital pharmacy so they, they they do the work together for example you know the ambulatory discharge patients so they'll come down from the ward and they'll come through the pharmacy at the front to have their discharge counseling pick up the medications and things like that so you know there, there is ways for people to hybrid or they can work in hospital Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and do community pharmacy on Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday or whatever um, schedule they want to set for themselves. And, and we're seeing uh, a bit of that where people don't want to commit full-time to one place. I'll do a bit here and a bit there. So we're looking at a more part-time workforce and having to fit that jigsaw puzzle together uh, you know, for us to be able to provide those services. But that's if that's where people are at, then you know that's not a, that's not a closed door to have a conversation about roles that are available. So we were talking a little bit about technicians. So I guess I'd ask: Is formal training getting put into place for them? Is there? Yes. So the the Cert three, which has sort of been the the basic standard. Uh, some of those modules have just been rewritten. Uh, and uh, for some hospitals, that's sort of a requirement to have done to progress through through the levels, uh, along with, you know, on-site training and, and, and sort of work, you know, that 70% on-the-job style training. Uh, equally, there there is um, some specialty courses available to skill uh, technicians into higher um, skill roles uh, or giving them a greater skill set to assist the pharmacist that goes beyond things like the Cert 3 and the Cert 4. Um, you know, in our business, we'd call them um, 
uh, I've even forgotten what we're going to do. Let's call them clinical technicians for want of a better term today, where they can go and assist the pharmacist by um, that might be you know, identifying the high-risk patients who need to be seen first so you can actually triage. The pharmacist can triage the work seeing the priority patients first and then they work the way down the list rather than the pharmacist having to do that. Even training technicians to do, you know, taking a basic medication history that can be checked when the pharmacist comes and interviews the patient. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's administrative parts of a pharmacist's role that a really good detailed person that doesn't have to be a pharmacist can do. Uh, and, you know, we've been having that conversation in our business this week, you know, the, the ordering of drugs and compassionate drugs and access program drugs. Just, it needs to be detailed in, in the oncology space. It needs to turn up for that patient at the right time. But a pharmacist doesn't have to organise that. And so we've got, you know, technicians doing that detailed work. Um, and, you know, across the whole public-private sphere there's there's many roles and opportunities for techs we're probably a bit behind time so if we could if we could progress one thing in in this country that's been in the uk for many many years is technicians checking off drugs and having uh the uh, the tech check tech if i've got that one right uh become legislated uh in this country or let's start with the state um again freeing up pharmacists if we can have a valid uh, process that is shown to be safe. Um, another great opportunity for technicians. So <clears throat> I'm from the UK. I did some, um, yeah, that's why I qualified. So yes, I know all about the technicians and <laughs> and their NVQ training. So I guess I would say <clears throat> there's always been a worry that if technicians get upskilled, then there might be less roles for pharmacists because technicians will be more financially yeah, viable, like they're a cheaper option than pharmacists. So if they're taking on more roles, then pharmacists will have some extra roles that they can take, but will it ultimately result in needing less pharmacists? Yep. <laughs> yep, that is a prevailing view among some people. I, uh, My view is that that's, that's a false um, philosophy, uh, because if you look at our health system at the moment, across the whole spectrum from primary care in GP land, there's not enough GPs. Okay, so what are the things that GPs absolutely have to do? And then what are the things that you could potentially get a nurse or a pharmacist? And, you know, we've seen the debate about pharmacists prescribing and all that sort of stuff, but we have to have those conversations because we don't have enough GPs. So the question is, how do we use pharmacists in that space where it's appropriate and safe and that the health outcomes are positive? And then now we're saying, okay, the pharmacist is going to do that, so they can't do the job that they were doing before, but a tech could do that. And I think the scale moves and broadens out beyond a narrow thinking about my ego that I'm the only one who can do this job. So I think there's huge opportunity. I'm secure enough in my own role as a pharmacist that I would love technicians to do more to complement what pharmacists do so that we can overall get better health outcomes. If I'm doing it as a job, you know, if I'm trying to protect my own job, probably looking at it the wrong way. So one thing that sounds really good about hospital pharmacy is the collaboration. 
between different healthcare professionals, who yep. pharmacists, um, and I think in community it's not always the same. Can you tell us a little bit? Well, it's about more that? immediate in hospital. So as a community pharmacist, uh, which I was a long, 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 long time ago, you know, if you had a script that had a question, you'd ring up the doc and you'd have a chat to them. But in the, in the acute setting, uh, particularly in the again in the public system where there's a hierarchy of, of of doctors, the pharmacists are interacting and training and educating the doctors at the same time, and there's a conversation about the care of that patient, and the pharmacists are inputting into that conversation. That same doctor hierarchy doesn't exist in the private system. There's mainly just the the, the VMO, the visiting medical officer, sort of the, the, the consultant, but there's still the conversation that goes on with that doctor when you've got a question on that chart that is it's an immediate health need that you can speak to the doctor but equally you can speak to the nurses and you're checking in with the nurses on a daily basis so you're going around your wards and you're making an assessment of those patients and who needs to be seen and what conversations need to be had and that those doctors and nurses will come to you as well as being the pharmacist for that ward with questions for their patients um, so that it, it's probably it happens at a, a more interactive level in a hospital, perhaps than it does in community. Generally speaking, um, and some processes would have had to have changed in the hospital as a result of COVID. So I think in community, there's been digital health that has really taken off, um, and that's become as a consequence in telehealth. And have there been some processes and that have changed in the hospital? Probably not as much or, you know, we haven't seen them immediately. Uh, look, we've seen minor things. We've seen, um, you know, the electronic transmission of scripts uh, as a sort of a pandemic measure, uh, which was extremely valuable. And, you know, we're fighting to keep in some circumstances. I think there's some uh, legislative changes being uh, flagged at the moment, which as SHPA, we have put forward uh, a response uh, to the Department of Health to have some input into that legislation, which is one of the great parts about being part of SHPA is being able to influence uh, legislative legislative frameworks. Um, You know, not a lot of advancement in technology in the immediate uh, certainly in, in my sector, in my part. Um, you know, it has, I guess the one of the ones, it has, it has increased the amount of telehealth. And some of that is continuing on. It's now, you know, before COVID, what is Teams? What is WebEx? What is Zoom? But now that's how we generally meet. Um uh, so there's the ability to do that more in health as well that has come out of broadly more out of out of the pandemic, not necessarily straight out of pharmacy, but it's something we're using to be able to reach out to patients to provide a, a service where they can't come in or it's more efficient for them to come in for us to counsel them in their own home on their medications. So the legislative frameworks you just mentioned... It's a long word. Um, are there any other um, proposals that you've put forward? Oh, 
So my, all my team will tell you I've got a notoriously bad memory. <laughs> I'd have to go back. That's why I write everything down. What, what did I do today? <laughs> so I can remember when somebody asks me. Um, uh, we've, well, we must have put forward three, four, five different responses to various uh, health uh, initiatives the government were looking at um, in the last 12 months. Uh, and one of the most recent ones of those is to support a proposal for a chief pharmacist in Victoria. So many of the other states uh, across Australia have a chief pharmacist. Now, those roles aren't all the same, but we don't have a chief pharmacist in Victoria advocating for pharmacy in particular. It currently sits under the uh, Allied Health portfolio, but we think there is uh, significant uh, benefit in having uh, a pharmacist sitting as the medication expert uh, in that uh, government framework to advise government and to, again, promote the work that pharmacists do in the health system the, and, and the effectiveness that we have um, across the whole spectrum of pharmacy. So we kind of knock, got knocked back on that at the end of last year, it was sort of, no, we're not really interested in that. <laughs> but, hey, that's just one door. <laughs> so we're happy to keep knocking. And this is a collaborative effort. It's not just SHPA. It's, it's multiple groups saying this, this is actually a good thing for Victoria and a good thing for Victorians and their health outcomes. So <clears throat> I'll have one more question for you. But if there's anything else that you'd like to um, contribute, I guess I'll ask you, how do you see things evolving over the next few years? So what might hospital pharmacists, um, private and public, how do you see it unfolding? Uh, mirror, mirror, on the wall <laughs> type of question. You know, necessity is the mother of invention, to use a cliche. If we don't have enough pharmacists, we have to find different ways to do things. We have to find more efficient ways to do that be that through robotics or IT or uh, stopping doing some things that maybe aren't effective. Uh, I, I think the workforce situation as it is now is going to continue, I'm going to say, for a couple of years, perhaps even until we get the next cycle of graduates through. Um, you know, in Victoria... Uh, pharmacist to bed ratios have been embedded in the new state EA. We've had the announcement, that, well, I think, at the federal announcement about pharmacists in aged care facilities. You know, we've got a growing trend of pharmacists in GP clinics doing that style of work. So if there's 200 pharmacists here, and we have to put more pharmacists into the public system to meet those ratios. Where where are all these people coming from? So it's going to be, it's going to be challenging across the board, um, and so where you don't have something, you have to work out another way to do it. Now, do I have the answer to that today? No, uh, and that's where really I, you know, that's going to be a collaborative piece, and we're going to have to all learn from each other. And if I come up with a way to do something, to be able to share that with colleagues across the system, and hopefully vice versa that we don't start working in silos, that we collaborate to find a combined way through uh, 
a workforce shortage, one of which ways will be the technicians. So to come back to that story, I think that will be a, a, a major piece in uh, workforce strategy. Yeah. Is there anything that I haven't asked you or you'd like to share? Oh. No. You're good? I'm all good. <laughs> what will bring acute pharmacists in the workforce and what pharmacists should think about um, when becoming a pharmacist? Yeah. I think you've got to ask yourself, and why am I a pharmacist? Why do I want to do pharmacy? Uh, I've done, over my time, uh, mentoring with a number of young pharmacists, and I always ask the question, um, why do you want to be a pharmacy? And if I had 10 bucks for everyone who told me because I want to help people, well, I couldn't quite retire, but, you know, I could have a nice meal and a nice bottle of wine. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an often given answer, but it's really vague. Yeah? And I don't think vague answers keep you engaged and in love with what you do. I think you really have to enjoy what you do. So we started at the beginning. I said, I love drugs. I do. I think they're unbelievably clever. And over the course of my pharmacy career, they've just got smarter. Um, and I love people. And I love leadership. So that's what keeps me doing this. And if people want to, whether they're moving from community into hospital or hospital and community or into industry or aged care, you've got to love what you do for 80% of the time. 20% of the time, okay, it's going to be, this is hard stuff, all right? It's going to be hard stuff everywhere. If you move from community to hospital, some of that stuff's going to be hard and vice versa, but you've got to love what you do. If you don't love it and say, yeah, I really enjoy what I do when I go to work, then go do something else. Find a job in IT. Find a job in a bank. Find a job in industry, which people are doing. And if they do and they find a love there, Two thumbs up. You've got to, life's too short to do stuff that you really don't enjoy. But you need to understand, you need to ask yourself almost every day, why, why am I doing this? It's because there's got to be something in it that you love that is beyond a, I just want to help people. Because if you want to help people, you could hold a sign at a zebra crossing to help school children between 8 and 9.30 in the morning. Pharmacy is different to that, so there has to be a more specific answer to that question. You've got to love what you do. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.